This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello, and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of your favorite horror films from the classic the camp to the cringe through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, I'm going to be talking about 1962's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. This has been a film that I've thought about covering for some time, but it just... I don't know. It felt right in my soul to do it now. And I really want to talk about the elements of ageism and disability, kind of those intersections, as well as talk about some of the components of caregiving that I've mentioned previously as well. So yeah, quite a bit to cover with this film. So yeah, let's not dilly-dally and let's just get right to it. Sister, sister, oh so fair, why is there blood all over your hair? Whatever happened to baby Jane? To seek the answer to that question, we will follow a man plotting a murder. Highly specialized work, but Robert Aldridge has considerable experience in such matters. He has a dozen successful pictures to his credit. His stars are Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. The scene an Italianate villa in a once fashionable section of Los Angeles. Its halls, once crowded with the bright, the beautiful, and the celebrated, now echo only to hectic whispers, the insistent call of a buzzer better left unanswered, a telephone that has become an object of fear, a supper tray that will not be touched, a window barred against the world, a hammer, a mute scrawl, crying for help. From these elements, director Aldrich has fashioned a motion picture with a curious title, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Betty Davis is Jane Hudson. Joan Crawford is Blanche Hudson. But we must warn you, if you're long-standing fans of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done. It is a bold essay in the art of the macabre, a venture to the ultimate reaches of terror. A motion picture definitely not for the screaming. And we beg you, as the tension builds to the screaming point, as shock after shock assaults your senses, try to remember that this is only a motion picture. Try and remember. No, we uh, we can't show you anymore. Only when you see whatever happened to Baby Jane will you know, and the answer is total suspense. All right, so let's get into this plot synopsis. In 1917, Baby Jane Hudson is a spoiled and capricious child actress who performs in vaudeville theaters across the country with her father, 
who acts as her manager and accompanies her on stage with the piano. Her success is such that a line of porcelain dolls is made in her image. Meanwhile, her shy older sister, Blanche, lives in her shadow and is treated with contempt by the haughty Jane. As the sisters pass adolescence, their situations undergo a bit of a reversal. Jane's style of performing falls out of fashion, and her career declines and she descends into alcoholism, while Blanche becomes an acclaimed Hollywood actress. Mindful of a promise made to their mother, Blanche attempts to maintain a semblance of career for Jane, going as far as to prevail on producers to guarantee acting roles for her. One evening in 1935, Blanche's career is cut short when she is paralyzed from the waist down in a mysterious car accident that is unofficially blamed on Jane, who is found three days later in a drunken stupor. By 1962, Blanche and Jane are living together in a mansion purchased with Blanche's movie earnings. Blanche's mobility is limited due to her reliance on the wheelchair and the lack of an elevator to her upstairs bedroom. Jane, psychotic and resentful of Blanche's success, regularly mistreats Blanche and prepares to revive her old act with a hired pianist named Edwin Flagg. When Blanche informs Jane she intends to sell the house, Jane rightfully suspects Blanche will commit her to a psychiatric hospital once the house is sold. She removes the telephone from Blanche's room, cutting her further off from the outside world. During Jane's absence, uh, Blanche desperately uh, drags herself down the stairs to call a doctor for help. Jane returns to find Blanche on the phone and beats her unconscious before mimicking Blanche's voice to dismiss the doctor from coming to the house. After uh, tying Blanche to the bed and locking her in her room, Jane abruptly fires her housekeeper, Elvira, when she comes to work. While Jane is away, the suspicious Elvira sneaks back into the house and attempts to access Blanche's room. Concerned by the lack of response, Elvira tries to break open the door with a hammer. Jane returns home and reluctantly gives Elvira a key. As soon as Elvira enters Blanche's room, Jane takes the hammer and kills Elvira. Edwin comes by the house, but Jane won't answer the door. That night, she uses Blanche's wheelchair to move Elvira's body to her car. A few days later, the police call to tell Jane that Elvira's cousin has reported her missing. Jane panics and prepares to leave, taking Blanche with her. Before they can go, an inebriated Edwin is escorted to the house by police, who leave him there. He discovers Blanche bound to her bed. Edwin flees and notifies the authorities. Jane, in a fit of infantile regression, takes Blanche to a beach where she sang as a child. The next morning, the news of Elvira's disappearance and Blanche's condition is on the radio, and police are on the lookout. Blanche, lying starved, dehydrated, near death on a blanket, stirs and tells the real story of the car accident to relieve Jane of guilt, saying she is paraplegic by her own fault. On the night of the accident, Blanche tried to run Jane over because she was angry at her drunken sister for mocking her at a party earlier that evening. 
Blanche's spine broke when the car struck the iron gates outside their mansion, and she dragged herself in front of the car's hood to stage uh, the cause of the accident and frame Jane. Blanche took advantage of Jane's shock and subsequent bender, concealing the real cause of the accident from her, which subjected Jane to a life of guilt, loneliness, and servitude. Now aware of the truth, a saddened Jane responds, You mean all this time we could have been friends? When Jane gets ice cream for herself and Blanche from a nearby refreshment stand, she is recognized by two police officers who ask her to lead them to Blanche, attracting the attention of nearby beach growers. Jane dodges the officer's inquiry and dances before the crowd of curious onlookers. The officers find Blanche nearby and rush to her as the end credits roll. So, there's kind of two different elements that I want to talk about with this film. One is ageism and its representation in this film because I think it connects directly to disability. Um, and I also want to talk about the disability representation with Blanche. So, as I mentioned, this film has kind of been on my mind to cover on the podcast for a bit. Earlier this year, the Faculty of Horror podcast did an episode, and I think this was in February. I'll link information to the episode in the show notes uh, around whatever happened to Baby Jane and Relic, really exploring themes of ageism and caregiving and elder horror. Um, really a, a, a great episode. And so they really looked at, I think, the ageism and intersection of gender when talking about this movie. They mentioned a few things about uh, disability as well, but they said, you know, they couldn't really find a lot. And this is true. In doing um, some research myself, there isn't a lot of, I think, like substantial pieces really digging into disability with this film. So, um, but they, they talk about it really briefly and, but I do want to hit on a couple of, of things related to ageism that they mentioned, just because I think it's really interesting in terms of kind of context for this film, but also in really getting into how ageism and disability intersect often. So they talked about the kind of subgenre of hasploitation films. And hasploitation is, you know, the it's it's kind of its own little uh entry into elder horror, which is kind of like the old creepy woman. And you know, often we see this represented specifically in horror with kind of like the old witch character, you know, preying on usually young children, things like that. So, but they really dive deep into, I think, a little bit of the history of that. And um, with this film in particular, this came out in 1962, but you have Bette Davis and Joan Crawford, who were icons at the time, but seen past their prime. 
the shelf life of actresses in Hollywood is it was even shorter then than it is now in terms of kind of viability on screen. They were doing stage work and television work and for you know you you read some interviews and, and both kind of wanted to be part of this film for I think very specific reasons connected to what it had to say about the way that the industry treats women, uh, particularly women of a certain age, and, you know, what happens and how they're viewed by society once they've reached kind of this particular point uh, in their career. And this is obviously reflected from the very beginning with Jane herself. You know, she's this very young child doing this song and dance with her father. The song, you know, sending a letter to daddy. She's very young, but that loses its zest um, as she gets a little bit older. And then Sister Blanche comes in as, you know, the talent and more of an established and prestige actor as she gets older. So, you know, it, it, we see that um, kind of coming in to play here. We also see, I think, just in general, how this film, especially at the very end, makes a very specific statement that, you know, even though we see the character of Jane as being absolutely the villain the antagonist in this film. And, and I would say for the most part, yes, that is true. Um, it's really, it, neither one of them are kind of pure good or bad. I'll explore a little bit more uh, of that with the character Blanche when I talk about the disability representation. But, you know, things aren't as clear when we see these characters or how we first interpret them. And so I found that, I think, really interesting too and in how, you know, it wasn't that they were at ends necessarily because of how they treated each other. Um, even though that's true, it was really how society and the industry that they had both been a part of had framed and, and kind of put them against each other, both as competition, but then both, you know, took their careers away at certain points in their life when they weren't seen as viable, specifically with age for Jane and with disability for Blanche, losing her career, which seemed to have, you know, quite, you know, the the momentum and success at the time that she was in her accident and then it going away. This brings me to, I think, one of the first points that I kind of want to underscore in how ageism and disability intersect. Now, I know I've talked about this on other episodes, I know, for Midsommar and when I talked about Relic as well, but what I find really interesting here is the fact that, again, it's about viability and how both Jane and Blanche are ostensibly devalued 
because of age and disability. A journal article that I found in doing some research uh, by Sally Chivers called Baby Jane Grew Up, The Dramatic Intersection of Age with Disability, which I will also link in the show notes, does a fantastic way of drawing these parallels of both older bodies and disabled bodies being non-normative and how society has a very kind of similar view of them, particularly within certain industries. In the film, Blanche is getting a little bit of a career revival because her films are now being played on television. And so people are being introduced to them for the first time. People that were her fans back in the day are now being able to revisit them easy and, you know, share them with others. So she's having a little bit of a resurgence. Obviously, Jane isn't going to have the same kind of situation because she was a stage performer. She did vaudeville performances. So, you know, it's not going to be able to be captured and shared in that same way. And that's where the jealousy, I think, of Jane really comes through. I've also talked about in in the other episodes that I guess the more kind of straightforward connect of age and disability. As we age, our bodies break down. You know, I think I've said before on podcasts, you know, I we're just kind of meat bags with expiration dates that we're just kind of slowly getting to. And yeah, our bodies break down. If you have, you know, had perfect health your entire life, as you get older, you may start to experience some health issues. And those can either be, you know, the things that we often think of, the stereotypical kind of aches, pains, and ailments that come with getting older. You know, some of, yeah, I would say some of those too, a number of those not being necessarily debilitating, but certainly, you know, make some of the day-to-day things harder. And then you also get more of those significant challenges. You know, the likelihood of getting conditions like Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. All of that stuff I've talked about before. But I, I, I just found it particularly interesting in the way that both the Faculty of Horror podcast really approached the aspect of ageism and gender, and then how so succinctly, um, you know, just in watching the film, and then really just kind of thinking about how these characters kind of play off of each other, how it's just such an interesting conflation um, of these two elements. Without getting into all of the kind of gendered aspect, because that can be its own, I think, conversation of not just, you know, ageism and the treatment of women, but I think also uh, women and disability. And I, I think I've maybe mentioned here and there, but I don't think I've really talked a lot about, you know, the experience of 
women with disabilities and the issues that become really fraught within kind of navigating the medical system and, you know, the issues that we have in connecting and finding appropriate kinds of care because women often, um, you know, aren't believed when we go and seek care for, um, for any reason. And so I don't know, there's a whole exploration there as well, but this film doesn't necessarily hit on that. So I don't want to kind of go down that lane. Um, you know, maybe there's a, a film that I can kind of pull up in the near future that we might be able to, to kind of dig in deep and, and find, um, you know, some, some conversation there. But, um, one thing I do want to, to kind of put a bow on kind of the ageism specific aspect and, and really, you know, put a bow on, on talking about necessarily the gender aspect here as well. Um, in the journal article that I cited in one of the uh, citations that they had, they, they had this quote uh, in the piece that I found really, really intriguing. And I think it's just, you know, a good kind of quote to, to end this little section on. And that is from author Rosemary Garland Thompson, who writes, both the female and the disabled body are cast within cultural discourse as deviant and inferior. Both are excluded from full participation in public, as well as economic life. Both are defined in opposition to a valued norm, which is assumed to possess natural corporal superiority. And this is from uh, Thompson's uh, piece, Feminist Theory, the Body, and the Disabled Figure, that was in the Disability Studies Reader in 1997. So, um, you know, just, I think, really interesting stuff there. But I think this is a good segue to really dig into the disability representation. I'm going to be focused in on Blanche, but obviously the character of Jane represents someone with a disability. She's dealing with mental health issues, addiction, but as I've stated plenty of times here, going into mental health and mental illness and those topics, not my wheelhouse. Check out psychoanalysis if that's something that you're really interested in. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal, absolute top tier, one of my fave podcasts of all time. Must listen and they do great work over there if that's something that you really want to dig into but you know again when we're looking at these two characters uh you know they do have a very kind of interesting mirror to each other in that regard but again i'm not going to go uh too heavy into uh into to jane in that respect but the character of Blanche. 
So Blanche is a paraplegic injured in a car accident that we see at the beginning of the film when she and Jane were, I think, older, in their teens, maybe early 20s. And it is believed uh, by us, the audience, and by Jane that Jane was the cause of the accident that it was a, a drunk driving situation and um, and Blanche had gotten injured. And we see that Jane has really lived with that guilt. And, you know, I think it's been kind of the kindling on the fire of a pretty uh, toxic relationship between the two for an incredibly, incredibly long time. It is no doubt that it is part of that guilt that is driving Jane to continue to care for her sister, even though it's every indication given that she really couldn't care less. Um, but, it, you know, Blanche is also kind of the, the money. She's the person that had brought in money, had saved money. Um, you know, Jane spends money. She's trying to get her vaudeville act back up. So is, you know, hiring Edwin and buying costumes and all of this stuff and, you know, spending a lot of money on booze, all of these things. But, and, you know, it was Blanche who had had this career and had saved money that, um, you know, kind of allows them to live. Now, the money aspect, I think, is interesting. And, and, just as I was thinking about this movie right after I had watched it, I had this thought that, you know, we we see Jane just kind of hemorrhaging money, ostensibly. You know, she's, uh, you know, buying all of these things, and she's not paying for the upkeep of the house there, I think. You know, on eviction's door, the house is in disrepair, um, kind of crumbling, and, you know, an aspect that I think goes unspoken here is the cost of care um, for Blanche. Blanche has to have regular medical care and go to the doctor. Um, the cost of caregiving can be very substantial. And so while, you know, we see the money running out, um, and essentially being depleted, and we look to Jane, and obviously that's a huge catalyst to it, you know, caregiving is also expensive, and they're not able to bring in money. Neither one of them is either to bring, is, is uh, you know, able to bring in money. And I, I think the thing that really uh, stood out to me, right, I think the thing that made me think of this and, and have it stand out in my mind. In this rewatch was, um, we get the scene of Edwin and his mom at home. So Edwin's kind of a, a swindler and he's a musician kind of down on his luck. He sees the ad that Jane has posted, uh, in the newspaper and is going to respond. His mother, uh, that he lives with has come home. She's older and has been to the doctor and they're out of money and they're talking about her doctor's appointment and 
even though it's not directly stated, you know, there's that, well, you know, great that you could go to the doctor. And it's great that the doctor said that, you know, you need this new kind of medication. Did he say how we're going to be able to continue to pay for this? Um, and so I, I don't know. It, it's something that, you know, kind of stood out to me in this rewatch. And, and I thought it was worth, I think, mentioning when talking about disability. But with Blanche, you know, going back to the house, and, and one thing that the, the faculty of, of Horror Podcast does a great job at, at mentioning and, um, and kind of discussing a bit is the fact that the house that they live in is completely inaccessible uh, for Blanche. She's essentially locked upstairs. She's trying to make her way to the phone, and it's just this really kind of tense and, and horrific um, kind of shot of, of, like, how is she going to get down the stairs? Um, and the fear, and just everything feeling very closed off and restricted to her outside of her bedroom. Um, you know, doors close, and, you know, she can't get, you know, from point A to point B. She can't get downstairs. So all of those those things really do stand out, um, I think, in talking about the kind of the disability components of this. I think another thing that's really, that I think is really kind of interesting that this film does, and, and I mentioned this at the beginning with how the way that we look at these characters changes at the end when we realize that, in fact, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't Jane that caused the accident. It was Blanche. She was mad at Jane for popping off at a party and was going to run her over and missed. Um, and I think she says, you know, like, you, you saw the car coming and she's able to get out of the way and she crashes into a fence or into like a gate and gets hurt. And, you know, we have been a, a character, characters with disabilities I've talked about before are often centered in pity. And, and certainly the character of Blanche is as well, because we see her being terrorized, tormented and mistreated traumatized, tortured by her older sister. But we then get to see that there's a complexity to this character, that she isn't just this, you know, very good, kind um, person, that she has layers, that she was upset with her sister, that she was able to act in kind of this really atrocious way Chivers in the journal article really goes in on this and and I love what what is said here and I'm I'm it's kind of a long bit here but I think it's really important the most trite objectionable disability rhetoric 
precedes Blanche's confession. You didn't do it, Jane. I did it to myself. Don't you understand? I crippled myself. The blame she tries to take on herself and the blame the film assigns her buy into the insidious notion of disability as a personal deficit or moral failing. Believing this confession means believing Blanche's last able body action was an attempted murder. So, Chivers then goes on to kind of connect this to, you know, the disabled villain trope. Um, or, you know, she brings in, you know, the kind of the, the sinister cripple uh, kind of personification that Shakespeare um, kind of coined. And it's an interesting element that in this film we were kind of given both um, in terms of, you know, kind of this very pitied, um, you know, everything bad happens to the individual with disabilities and, you know, they're, they are all good, pure, innocent beings, or as Trivers kind of quotes here, the uh, brave but tragic invalid. And just, I, I don't know, really kind of uses these kind of components to create a very kind of complex, realistic, layered character. Now, one thing that the article does explore, which I found really interesting about reading it, was, you know, this is all assuming that the confession that Blanche delivers on the beach is true. That what we, what she says is to be believed, and that she's not saying this out of a place of perhaps trying to get Jane on her side to save her. She's near death. Uh, she's been starved and she's gone without uh, water and all of this at the hands of this woman and, um, you know, is, is kind of fighting for her life. And so maybe trying to, you know, release the guilt that Jane holds uh, by putting that on herself, she's, you know, perhaps thinking that Jane will save her and change course. It's an interesting thing. I don't know. You can read it either way. I, I kind of like the notion of the confession being true, of her just being like, well, if I'm going to die, you might as well know the truth of what happened. And this is what happened. And it sucks that you've lived with the guilt of this and that I put that on you. Um, because it's obviously wrecked havoc on our relationship, but it's also just more importantly wrecked havoc on you um, and kind of your mental well-being. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's a really interesting thing, um, to, to kind of play with there at the end. Another, I guess, aspect of this that I found really interesting that 
Shivers ends the journal article in kind of talking about, or at least this, this little bit here talking about, is how, you know, it's through kind of the construction of this ending that, you know, if this confession is to be believed, then the non-disabled viewer can then take themselves out of any kind of empathy or understanding of Blanche's situation. Because, oh, well, this is a moral failing of what Blanche is, so this could never happen to me. To where up until then, it's, you know, horrific accidents happen all the time. You can, uh, you know, end up, uh, you know, a quadriplegic, paraplegic, injured in any kind of fashion at any time. You know, walking out the door. You know, not even walking out the door. Walking around. Um, but this is kind of taking that, um, you know, non-disabled viewer out of that lens and, and again, applying that moral kind of, uh, element to it and saying, no, it's, we're, we're adding this, this, this thing where she kind of deserved what happened to her because she was going to do X. It's very messy. Um, but I think it makes it kind of interesting to, to really, um, to, to kind of dive into. And I'm really glad that Shriver spent, um, you know, some time talking about that because I think it's something that when like reading reviews of this film, a lot of people don't necessarily talk about kind of that particular component of the disability representation. It's something that we, you know, it's still there. I've talked about it in, um, you know, other films where disability, illness, injury, etc., is viewed as either an extension of a person's moral failing or, you know, kind of their parents or whatever, you know, someone's moral failing. Um, and it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find that topic very, very interesting. So I'm glad that Trivers uh, really, really went in on that. But yeah, I, I, I think that's going to kind of wrap things up for this episode. Kind of a shorter episode, but just a, a really kind of cool film to go back and watch. I hadn't watched it in a very long time. And like I said, I it's... You know, one that I have thought about for a while in terms of covering for the podcast, but, um, you know, my my head always gets kind of filled with different ideas and, and folks have been really great about sending in suggestions. So um, I'm, I, I'm really excited to have talked a little bit about it. Certainly, um, you know, I think going back and, and hopefully, you know, I, unfortunately, um, you know, Triver's article is in a journal, it's behind a paywall. Um, it is linked in the show notes, but I really do think that reading it is really, really interesting. She also talks about Sunset Boulevard, um, as well, but just 
really cool, and I, I can't recommend the episode of Faculty of Horror enough. Um, I adore that podcast, and, and they also, um, if you look at their kind of citations, they have some really interesting stuff, um, especially going, um, you know, kind of digging in deep into kind of, you know, what I talked about at the beginning with exploitation and what that means and, and how it kind of connects. So, yeah, um, I hope that, you know, this has been kind of an interesting episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. It's hard to believe that we are, um, you know, almost at episode 40 and we're closing out 2022. Um, you know, what, what a journey, um, you know, the past year plus almost two years, um, have been so, um, you know, thank you, um, you know, for, for listening. It, it truly means everything. And of course, a huge thank you to the Anatomy of a Scream, uh, Paw Squad, where Bodies of Horror has its lovely, welcoming, uh, home. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the feed, I know I mention this every episode. I'm assuming you are subscribed. Lots of cool things, cool episodes around, um, you know, good for her horror and, uh, white ladies in crisis and new series popping up all the time there's some really new stuff on the horizon that i'm incredibly excited about so you'll definitely want to be um subscribed and ready to go for that stuff happening in the new year but yeah that will do it um you know if you want to reach out to me and say hey if you have suggestions or ideas for films that i should cover in the podcast reach out, say, Hey, let me know, um, what they are. I'm always open to, uh, ideas. I'm really excited. I've got, um, you know, the first, I think episode or two of the new year kind of lined up good to go. And I'm really excited about those two. I think it's going to be a really cool, uh, 2023. So, Thank you all for being on the journey with me so far. I look forward to the journey to come. And because this is going to be coming out, you know, the end of December, right in the midst of kind of all of the holiday hubbub, I do hope that you are having a wonderful holiday season, a wonderful, safe, healthy, and love-filled holiday season, and that you have a wonderful uh, start to 2023 and all of that said until next time the anatomy of a scream pod squad